Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is Monday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is Andre Anderson. I am both host and founder of BSTL. I hope you all are keeping well. We're glad that you're here. BSTL does stand for Building Something That Lasts. And we're glad that you came back this week. Uh, I hope that you're getting excited the way that I am. Uh, Spring is almost here. Winter is pretty much in the rearview mirror. And I'm excited about that. No more shoveling soon. Uh, No more heavy jackets soon. No more flurries. No more snow storms. I can't wait to get into the spring because I've got some really big plans um, for the springtime, which is just around the corner. So uh, here we are again uh, for another episode or another podcast, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. Last week, um, got a lot of feedback. There were even some uh, individuals that logged in that we normally don't see, so I think it connected in a different kind of way. Um, So last week, we talked about just sitting there, right, and learning how to process in the silence of things, in in the moment of things. You don't always have to rush and do stuff. But after you've sat there for a while, this kind of leads us into our episode uh, for today. Uh, You're going to have to do something. It's not going to go away. That's the title of this podcast. It's not going to go away. So, of course, one of the greatest challenges that every leader has to have or deal with or face if they are going to be worth uh, their weight in gold or salt or any other mineral, um, there are challenges that are going to come your way. Um, I've never met, you know, whether it's a well-loved leader or one who is not loved at all, I have yet to meet a leader that is doing their job well that has said to me they don't have challenges. Every single leader, no matter who you are, at some point while you are doing and leading and mentoring and sharing and and, uh, empowering and all of those different words that go into this thing, you're going to bump into something that you wish you did not have to deal with. And the reality is, um, even though leaders often uh, demonstrate a certain measure of assertiveness, people often come to us because they we have uh, de- uh, demonstrated a measure of being able to troubleshoot and be able to do things at a high level. Uh, people trust us with advice. There are going to be some things that come your way that you wish somebody else would have to deal with it. But the truth is, there is no other person. <laughs> and I need to say that out loud because, uh, you know, sometimes as leaders, because of the rigor and the, the wear and tear of being a leader, there are times where you wish that you could just, like, pass that thing off to somebody else. Uh, maybe sometimes on your team there's a difficult individual uh, that you wish would go on a different team and we talked about this earlier um, in season one but the reality is at some point sooner or later there's going to be something that is going to come up and you're gonna have to do something about it and usually the the challenges that we face as leaders are often connected to culture right so Um, Before you became a manager or a VP or a director or a team lead, whether it's a long-term assignment or a short-term assignment, there's always going to be something cultural that is happening there that is deeply embedded and woven into the fabric of the organization. But now that you're a leader, depending on the capacity to which you are serving in, you now see things that you did not see before. 
And of course, the tendency is to say this, and I've heard some leaders say uh, this before. I don't necessarily subscribe to it. I, I don't actually agree with it. They'll say, look, I didn't create that problem, so I'm just going to leave it right where it is, and somebody else is going to have to deal with it. Uh, the challenge with that type of way of thinking is if you inherit something that has some challenges, especially if they are rooted in culture, no matter what you try to do in terms of moving your own personal agenda forward or, or trying to meet some of the objectives that you've inherited, if you don't deal with something that should have been dealt with a long time ago, you're going to have some trouble. And so therefore, one of the things that you have to do is you've got to identify what is it that's really happening here? Why is it that I can't seem to get the team uh, to gel? Why is it that there seems to be a culture around uh, procrastinating and uh, putting things off for tomorrow, the things that we could do today? And the list goes on and on. But you've got to, as a leader, be able to identify what's actually happening here. And this is where you almost have to become like um, Ben Matlock. Uh, you've got to become a little bit of a, an investigator. You've got to ask um, some probing questions to individuals that are on your team. And you've got to ask the hard questions and see whether or not you can get different perspectives as to what's happening here. Why do we keep bumping into this? Why is there such uh, low team um, morale? Why is it that whenever we have assignments, we don't necessarily um, execute on time? You've got to ask around. You've got to probe. You've got to identify what the issue is. Because sometimes uh, the teams that you are uh, placed to lead in, uh, some of the procrastination, some of the morale has nothing to do with the assignment that you've now given to them based on some of the objectives of your organization. Some people tap out early because previous leaders have never affirmed um, them. They've never told them how good they are or how valuable they are to the organization. So every time you come with a new objective, um, it's almost like the culture is that they will say, oh my goodness, they're giving us another thing to do, and if we don't do well, somebody's going to come down heavy-handed. But not only do you have to identify what's happening, what's um, happening beneath this iceberg, so to speak, you've got to be able to evaluate it, right? So again, when you see some of these challenges, there may be a tendency to run and put your head in the sand, but you've got to evaluate whether or not you can afford to do absolutely nothing. And this is why there are benefits to sitting there, right? So because uh, once you have identified that there's an issue, while you're sitting there trying to reflect on how are we doing, where are we right now in the present tense, where are we going in the future, by sitting there, you are able to evaluate whether or not or how you're actually going to end up executing and moving this thing out of the way so that it doesn't prevent you from getting to the next level. And let me just say it, I know that in this conversation it may sound like really easy, uh, almost to the point where there's zero effort required, but the truth is we're talking about people. Uh, we're talking about executing or evaluating um, people who are the, the backbone. They are the resources that continue to drive um, the organization. And so therefore, without the evaluation, which often happens as you sit and reflect, you may not come to the conclusion that, hey, the, the, the challenge to this issue may be deeply embedded into the culture, 
But the solution to this may not come from within the organization. You may have to shop around and go outside of the organization uh, to bring some individuals in that will um, be able to help you uh, to execute. And let me just say this, because I know that at times people don't like that, right? So when there are some issues that need to be solved, um, we have this tendency to say, well, you know what, I can deal with this. I can, um, I'm, the, I'm the individual that has the capacity uh, to make a difference and change whatever it is that is happening here. But the reality is you can't fix everything. And sometimes one of the things that I've learned is that when you bring help from the outside to deal with an inside issue, even though that individual may not have all the context um, uh, behind what happens to this culture, the truth is sometimes having a neutral face or a person or somebody who does not have a dog in the fight can be absolutely essential and critical to dealing with whatever the issue is. But again, I come back to our topic here for today. You cannot just let it sit there and fester. You know, years ago, um, <laughs> uh, my son, I gave him a little bit of a haircut, and um, I promise you the blade was clean. Uh, it was just a little taper fade, nothing fancy, because I'm not a barber, right? I know what I'm doing, um, but I'm not that guy that knows how to do these extravagant hairstyles. So here's what happens, though. Because his skin is a little bit gentler, because he's a younger kid, so he doesn't have all of the scarring around his neckline from doing this time and time again, he ends up getting, like, an ingrown hair. And so here's what happens. As he rubs the back of his neck, he's like, Dad, I can feel something there. Take a look at it. And because I've had ingrown hairs before, I know that if he'll just wait a little bit longer, you know, it'll grow a little bit, and more than likely the skin is going to pop out. But here's the thing. For him, his skin texture is not the same as mine. So he comes back a week later and says, Dad, it's still here. I thought you said it would go away. So now that I realize, look, this guy who I've given this tapered haircut to, um, his, his, his skin is not going to break and allow the hair to come out of, um, out of that little bump. I have to operate on this thing. And when I say operate, no, I'm not really operating, but I had to move towards the ministry of the tweezer. So I now have this needle nose tweezer and I've got him lying face down and I can see that his eyes are closed because he's praying to God that his dad does not like kill him in the process. But here's the thing with this little needle nose um, uh, tweezers, I now go into this bump and I pluck at it. And you should have seen how long this hair thing is. And here's what I learned through that as a process, right? Because we're talking about having to do something and not ignoring it. Because I took an extra week to go in and really see what was happening in the back of his neck, the hair was continuing to grow in this ingrown bump because there was some irritation there. And I know that there's got to be a leader that's listening to this conversation and you're beginning to reflect, regardless of where it is that you work or wherever it is that you serve, that there have been times where you have waited and wasted some time thinking that if you just leave it long enough, 
yourself because you've been here before and you've experienced these kinds of things before, it'll naturally work itself out and the problem will be solved. But guess what I'm learning? The longer I lead is the more I realize that while you shouldn't necessarily jump quickly to solve every problem, you have to acknowledge to your team that there is something that is happening here. Remember, you're not the only one that can see that there's a challenge, right? The people that you are leading, they are making observations, right? And so after a while, they may count you in or count you out because because what they will say is, hey, Andre, we know that Andre, we know Andre's uh, leadership style, and we know that whenever there is an issue, he's not going to do anything about it. So you know what? We're not going to say anything. We're going to pretend that it doesn't exist. And for some of the people that you lead on the team, they may become a little bit passive aggressive because they're trying to like urge you to do something about this thing because here's the other thing that we often miss that as leaders there are things that are happening to individuals that report to us that we are working with that never actually impact the scope of the work that we have to do So when you take a little bit longer to get this hair out of the ingrown bump, which is a metaphor for dealing with the issues that you have to deal with within the organization, you cannot take for granted that just because it's not impacting you, that it's not impacting those that you are working with. So part of the reason why we are evaluating, we're not just evaluating what's happening or what the issue is, whether it is something around culture or it's around some type of scenario that we've never dealt with. We have to evaluate what's happening because, look, there are people who will jump ship from your organization, not because they have a problem with conflict, but they do have a problem with the fact that you don't deal with the conflict that impacts them directly and or indirectly. And of course, that's why when we talked in season one about coming out from the corner office, it's not just demonstrating that you are available or that you care, but you also have to be able to identify how are these issues impacting our ability to move forward. Because here's what I've discovered. You can have a great team that is thriving, that will begin to tank, because you are now going to ask them after a while to move on to the next objective, but you still haven't dealt with the issue that is prevailing or um, pervading what is happening right then and there. So now you're asking them to now pivot and do something else, add to their workload, but you're not um, bringing a sense of peace or ease to whatever the issue is. And here's the thing, once you have identified and, uh, and evaluated, then you've got to move towards this discussion piece. And can I tell you, sometimes the discussion piece is hard, right? Because remember, there's an issue that you've been trying to hold off from dealing with. But to those that you are working with, it is building and growing momentum. So now that you're ready to discuss it, perhaps sometimes on your own terms, because you've decided that there are other things that are more important, you're not even sure how this discussion is going to go once we've identified what the issue is and and ultimately perhaps what the impact is also. 
And this is why whenever you're dealing with issues as leaders, don't assume that you're going to go into a meeting where everybody's going to be putting you up on their shoulders and celebrating you because there will be times where you have to have these difficult conversations where they may not hoist you up as hero, but they will appreciate the fact that at least you tried to have this conversation. And I know that there are different methods that different leaders often use. Um, some of them will talk to uh, various individuals one at a time because they want to do a little bit of uh, investigating and, and fact-finding. And I understand that. And there is a place for having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. But at some point, you are going to have to put the entire group together as their leader and have the conversation together. Now, the reason why you have to do that is sometimes people will hide behind the one-on-one -on -one conversation, right? So uh, in the one-on-one -on -one conversation, I've noticed that at times people will throw others underneath the bus. They will say, well, so-and-so did this, and as a result of so-and-so doing this, this is what happened. And they will be a lot more transparent because guess what? There's nobody listening to the initial conversation. But one of the things I've discovered is that while that may create a temporary peace and it may not necessarily bring a whole lot of conflict in those one-on-one -on -one conversations, it does also shield some of the perpetrators that create some of the challenges that you now have to deal with as a leader. And I'm going to say this, right? And you can disagree with me all you want. But one of the things that I have appreciated about a, a lot of these movements that we have seen um, over the last five to ten years is that people are no longer shielding individuals that are creating the conflict for the organization. And, you know, sometimes even victims, they have a hard time coming forward because they're not sure whether or not they will be supported. But I do believe that it is, is, it is high time now that we start having broader, bigger conversations where we put more people in the room to hash things out, especially as it relates to the organization, because if you don't deal with things because you are more concerned about shielding people from the overall shame of the issues within the organization, after a while, you are going to lose your brightest and your best people, they're going to leave. And the reason why they're going to leave is not so much because of the toxic environment, it's because we have no individuals that are willing to go in there with their hazmat outfits, right? And of course, uh, the hazmat outfit is the metaphor for dealing with the conflict, right? So people don't leave because there's conflict, because you can't avoid conflict. Every single organization is going to have some type of issue that they will be dealing with, whether in a short-term way or in a long-term way, but somebody has to be willing to deal with the conflict. And so you've got to have those conversations. You've got to put the team together that you are leading and let them know all of the different perspectives. Now, I'll say this. Maybe not using the names, right? Because uh, there are times where people will speak to you as a leader in confidence. So no, no, no. I'm not talking about breaching people's privacy. But what I am saying is, is that as a leader, you want your entire team to know that you are informed on uh, what is actually happening here because you've gotten enough perspectives about whatever it is that needs to be dealt with. But then after you've had this conversation, 
you do need to be committed to change. And change has many different layers to it, right? Change sometimes is policy. Sometimes change is moving personnel around. Sometimes change is you changing how you lead as a leader, right? Because there is a reason why you're hoping that this problem will go away. And some of us as leaders suffer from this condition of needing to be loved by everyone all the time. But sometimes you not being loved may be the greatest thing that could happen for you as a leader. Because remember, you're not leading for the sake of people making you look good. As a leader, it is your job to empower and develop the skills of those that may be um, your direct report. And when you're handling these things, remember, you're not always going to be in that seat. And whether or not you know it or not, you are mentoring people constantly by how you lead. And that's why sometimes when mentorship happens really well, even if it's good or not so good, people begin to take on the DNA of those that have mentored them and taught them and shown them the ropes as to how they would do things. But in the best type of situation, once you've mentored them and shown them how to do certain things, you got to leave some wiggle room for these people to be able to become the leaders that they want to be. So the change that is also going to be implemented here isn't necessarily the change that you come up with, but it may have to be the change that the team comes up with. And look, I know that people love the word buy-in. It's not just about the buy-in. It's about the consensus that happens when we wrestle together to deal with an uh, issue that may be causing some challenges that may jeopardize the overall health of the organization. But then you've also got to take a step back. This is our final portion of our conversation. You've got to watch. You know, so one of the things that leaders have to be is not just engulfed in their own work. They have to see. Once we have dealt with some conflicts, once we have dealt with an issue, once we've decided what the change is based on what we've evaluated, we have to watch. And I know leaders, like, even though your team has a lot that they've got to do, you as a leader have a lot that you've got to do, right? Because you've got somebody else a little bit higher up on the food chain that is making some observations and they're asking you to implement some things and they have no idea about what's happening in terms of the culture of those that you are working with, right? There's always a dynamic of something that's happening and they're interested in the bottom line of whatever that thing is. But the reality is you can't afford to be so engulfed with what you have to take care of that you forget the fact that you are only as strong as those that you are leading with. And so if you now take the time to watch and make some observations and commit to coming back to um, re-address and evaluate how are we doing since we've had that conversation, I promise you here's what's going to happen. Your team is going to trust you more even if they don't embrace how you do what you do, but you cannot afford to be known as the leader that doesn't move into action because every inaction is still an action. Oh, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I have a feeling I might have to do a part two uh, next week. I'll think about it. But what I want us to know is this, that as leaders, 
Doing nothing can no longer be an option because the longer you do nothing is the deeper this thing is going to become embedded in the overall culture of your organization. My name is Andre Anderson. I'm both host and founder of BSTL. If you'd like me to come out and have this conversation with you, uh, please send me an email at bstlinc21 at gmail.com. And listen, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe because we want to take this message of building something that lasts all over the world because there is another way to lead. There's always another way to lead, and we're just throwing our hat in the conversation, hoping that you may learn something through these uh, conversations. Take care. Until next time. Bye.